Good morning. Is it 13 today? <laughs> episode 13. Well done. I've got it right. We're there. Episode 13. Okay, so today, what are we talking about today? Um, we're talking about execution, and I, I don't mean a guy with a big axe. Um, it's really weird that that word is, means that and also how yeah, to yeah. execute something well. But anyway, yeah, I, I mean how to do something, or how, not how to do something well, but how you do something, how you execute something is probably, I'd say, the second most important factor in, in being successful. I think the What's first, the first? I think the first is mindset. Okay. So that can cover so and self belief and so many other and determination and all those kind of things. It's, okay. it's like mindset is kind of quite wide reaching. There's yeah. lots of facets of it, but I think execution is is second, um, and or nearly nearly as as important as mindset because. And I've been listening to a fascinating interview with um, Sarah Blakely of Spanx, um, with uh, who's being interviewed by Tony Robbins. And I was listening to it last night as I was kind of going to sleep, but it was one of those dangerous podcasts to listen to because I was like really excited by it and I was like, now I can't sleep. <laughs> well, I think, the, well, we'll come on to her in a second. So I think the, um, but I, I think you're right. One of the, the fundamental aspects of like the feedback we've had from business mentors with yeah. Say It and with Smiley Booth and with anything we've been involved in. In fact, just recently, um, somebody we know in business turned around and said, "It doesn't matter what your idea is; it doesn't matter how good you think you are. If you don't, it's if that Andre, it yeah, Andre, yeah, yeah. and uh, who built a business uh, in software, uh, and he sold several businesses mm-hmm. in software, including selling one to uh, the likes of Nintendo, and so on. He's got a, a lot of experience because uh, we were worried about competition." Yeah, well, well lots of people have said that to us because we're building a, a SaaS product, a service as a software. No, <laughs> software as a service, though. Yeah. Wakey, wakey. Um, yeah, it, lots of people have said, oh, you know, you have you, got to keep that under your hat until you're until you're really kind of ready to not ready to launch, but you're you, you're kind of almost there, and and you can't do that because you can't. I mean, how can you launch while keeping it under your hat at the same time? It's impossible exactly. unless you're you're Apple and you've got all these resources and you do this big unveil. It's not going to happen. So. Um, but a few people had said, you know, kind of, oh, you've got such a, a good thing here. Like, be careful, people don't copy it. But it's not what you do; it's it's how. Well, that's what you he do said. It. He said, yeah. don't even worry about that, didn't he? Yeah. He just said, look, it's it's about people. He said it's about um, anybody's ability to execute yeah. on uh, on on the plan. And he said, the reality is, if your competition, if somebody does decide to compete with you, and they're executing in a way that you can't, then give up. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like if you if you're looking at that and say and saying, right, well, they're doing everything to the degree that I just really can't function in this market, then yeah. then that's your cue to fail quick. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. we were just like, oh, okay, that works really well. And it's funny you're talking about execution this morning in her because one of the things that you, uh, I often talk to you about is David Goggins. The, mm-hmm. um, he's like quite a motivational guy. I think he's Navy SEAL, ex-Navy SEAL. Um, he runs ultra marathons and all this kind of stuff. And um, and he made a, he did a little, he does these little short videos, which basically just says, stop being a pansy and get on with it. Uh, basically, it's basically the theme for all his stuff. But one of the things that he did in the video this morning was he was doing a workout. In the middle of the workout, he's being videoed. And while he's talking, he's talking about, because um, he, he has a fear of water. 
right. And um, one of the big things about going through Navy SEALs training is... Um, yeah, I was just thinking, the... Navy. Right, yeah, exactly, right? It's a bit of a crazy thing to do, isn't yeah. it? Actually, it's the first time I've made that connection. It's like, yeah, but anyway. Um, so, he, so he kind of literally put himself in these um, areas of, like, of confronted his fear. Mm-hmm. But, and, and he's got over that fear and everything now. And then, uh, and he was talking about how, I think yesterday or whenever it was, he, he needed to go for a, a swim in a lake, but it was a cold water swim. And he said, he went up to the lake and he dipped his toe in the water. Mm-hmm. And he said, that was my, and, uh, excuse language, but he was like, that was my bitch voice. <laughs> he would say, there was no reason for me to dip my toe in the water. The only reason why I was dipping my toe in the water was preparing myself to make an excuse not to get in the water. Right. He said, what I should have done is just, what I realised was, I should have just jumped in. Yeah. Like, take an action. Like, yeah. just do what I said, uh, said I was going to do. He said, but, and he was really annoyed at himself that he dipped his toe in the water first. And he said, and the whole thing was just stop dipping your toe in the bloody right. water and just take action. Yeah. So, sorry, so that had cut across you about her. But yeah, execution and action are, are two things that what are it, kind of... What you were saying about Andre also reminded me of um, the... Uh, are they brothers? Is it two or three of them in, in Germany where their whole business model oh, yeah. is to take something that's obviously working somewhere else. Um, and like Airbnb was a was a big example, wasn't it? Yeah. And and replicate it. And, yeah. and and then actually either try and buy the original or sell it back. So what they've done for the original. But again, it's just all in that execution. It's not a new idea. No, <laughs> they just execute very well. Yeah. So yeah, so the backstory with them is that they are German, I think. Yeah. They're, uh, and they I are, didn't know if there was two, uh, two or three of them. I know they're brothers. Yeah, it is. I, I don't know myself now, but they're quite well known in the tech circles because they do exactly that yeah. they'll literally watch for stuff that's happening in the states that's doing really well that's growing really rapidly and they'll they'll replicate and they, they i think they're billionaires yeah. they've got a lot of they've got a lot of money to tackle these projects so airbnb were growing and investing and and they were seeking investment mm-hmm. to to grow even further and everything else and these guys were watching them and they basically were uh, so I think the biggest player on the market at the time was Home in a way, is that it? Home Away, or whatever yeah. it is, uh, as a competitor to... Verber, I think, okay. which have now bought Home Away. Oh, okay. So um, anyway, they they were watching what Airbnb did, and they were like, okay, well, we can... Airbnb have yet to come across to Europe. So mm. what we'll do is we'll create the Airbnb of Europe, mm. but we'll do it way better. So Airbnb, I think at the time, had one office. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the uh, the guy that was behind it and all his investors were just trying to get their heads around, okay, well, how do we manage these staff and how do we do, like, plan out the scaling out yeah. of this? And maybe one day we'll go across to Europe. And they ended up overnight. I can't remember how many offices it was, but it was double figures. Yeah, they in number of into Europe, yeah. Like straight away. Yeah, well, they went, I know they went from 40 staff to 100 staff. Pretty much overnight, so yeah. To cope with it, because they already knew how to execute. They knew yeah. that speed of execution. They had the money. Yeah. They could buy in the oh, team. No, they, they got the money for that purpose. What for the the German guys? Oh, so I'm you, talking so about the German. The, yeah, guys. the German guys had the money. Yes, yeah. So because yeah. so, they were already billionaires, yeah. so they had the money. They had the resources, and they just knew if they executed as fast as possible, um, then they could um, be a threat to Airbnb. Mm-hmm. And the whole strategy was then. Because they made it very profitable very quickly, but they then went straight to Airbnb and said, right, okay, 
we'll either t- we'll either lock you out mm. of this market or you can buy us but we want and in exchange we want x percentage of your company airbnb's company yeah, what i was getting at was airbnb said no mm. because they they got extra funding they, they were the ones that grew from 40 to 100 staff overnight to meet that oh, really? competition they were like we're not having any of that and they they took it head on and expanded into europe literally within weeks yeah well. um, yeah so it's so the point i suppose is is that ex that they when when you get business owners that know how to execute and yeah. imp, and really run at it yeah. that's when you see real success and it goes right back to um our, one of our earlier earlier podcasts like we've done loads but a podcast we did previously um where we talked about there's no such thing as overnight success and that business is transferable skills, right? You literally, what you learn in one business, you can utilise in a completely different sphere. Yeah. And that's what those guys are doing a lot of the time. And the, and I'm, sorry, I just have to touch on Andre um, again, because uh, it, it's just, just a side note, it's nothing to do with execution, but um, in the world of business, um, and, and this is what I'm kind of enjoying on the, the podcast, and hopefully we can get maybe Andre and, and yeah. some other people on to talk about their experiences, but you never know when and where you're going to meet these fascinating people. I mean, yeah. we are currently living in um, the southern area of France that is extremely rural. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, you know, grass is growing down the middle of the lanes that we drive down to get yeah, to Yeah, I house. think eight neighbours and we're separated by fields. Yeah, it's, it's not like, yeah, back at home in England where it's like your next door neighbour, you could touch that. Yeah, house. yeah, it is. It's crazy rural, and um, and but but it's but it's but there's a community, yeah. And these eight houses, before we all got locked down again, um, would regularly meet for like little little kind of soirees in the summer, yeah. And so we were at one soirees. That sounds very posh. That's what they're calling it. Is it really? It's a French word. Okay. Okay. (laughs) My French is amazing. You're showing your ignorance now. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You're so posh. You were only saying yesterday how you went to like some posh school in Cambridge or something. So. <laughs> that wasn't a posh school, it was a college. It's, it's a college. college. It's, a it's a free it? college, shut up. Anyway, <laughs> I will get my point out. Sorry. <laughs> um, so we were at the, the soiree and, um, <laughs> and we met Andre there and, um, and he lives like two or three houses along from us, so like a few, few minutes walk down the, the little tiny It's lane. like half a mile, like, when we say two or three houses, that's half a mile away. Yeah, but it, it, and it is literally like the tiniest lane in the world. Yeah. And, um, and, and he's, he's got this like beautiful wooden house, isn't he? Yeah. And um, yeah, and uh, I hadn't started talking to him, you were talking to him, I was talking to some other people, um, and I realised he must speak English because I was like, well, at least talking to him, he can't speak French. <laughs> so, but okay. you guys were completely engrossed and I, I came over and you're talking all about business and mm. in the middle of nowhere yeah. where the majority of people here have lived here for like their families have been there for hundreds of years. His family yeah. dates back 800 years yeah. in, in this area. And and they're like, he, he's a tech guy. He's yeah. a software sold companies to Nintendo. It's just like, he had crazy. an office in Silicon, he had offices in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And, um, I suppose it comes down to like people in business. A lot of people in business like talking about business, like us, yeah. right? Yeah. Because there is something very personal, a personal journey you go on when you're in business. Yeah. So when you connect with somebody else who's also running a business, it's you you realise the importance of those relationships. Well, I think it's such a long journey as well, isn't it? It's, it's like if you're really into fitness, if you're really into running yeah. and. Um, you know, you, you marathon train or ultra marathon or whatever, then you're going to have a lot of 
common with somebody else that does that because yeah. there's so many facets to that you know yeah. i don't know you can talk about the the, the shoes and the techniques and the all yeah. sorts of and yeah, the yeah. diet and the, there's so yeah. many kind of like levels to it yeah. and i think that's the same in business you it know is, it's yeah. it, it is a marathon not a sprint so i, I guess that when you meet someone with that because his um his other half whenever you two start talking she just rolls her eyes and walks away she does literally walk away yeah <laughs> she's just like here they go again yeah yeah i think she's very used to him going <laughs> yeah. getting entrenched in some kind of discussion but yeah he was like and so humble yeah. like this that's the other thing you can meet people in business who have had all sorts of success but those successes come with battle scars a lot yeah. of the time right they're not easily won yeah. and um and most of the successful people we've met that we've been really intimidated by, like, do you remember when we met Theopophetus? Yeah. When we met Theopophetus, we were very um, fortunate to do some to work with him years and years ago. And uh, with our, with Smiley Booth, Photo Booth Hire. Well, we were literally like in the corner going, you talk, no, you talk. To we me. were you terrified. <laughs> we were terrified, weren't we? Yeah. We were like, we can't pass up this opportunity. We have to go and talk to him. Yeah. To. No, and he was walking, and we were at an event. Like he'd, we'd had some back and forth anyway. And then we ended up at um, a handful of their events with, the, with Smiley Booth, the Photo Booth. And uh, he was in the queue, like, and everyone's drunk. Right, so apart from us, obviously, because we're running the photo booth at the time, and uh, but he's in the queue, and we're seeing him, and he's getting closer and closer and closer, and the photo booth stopped working. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the panic? Because we were already terrified that this guy was <laughs> was coming towards us, and it was like, what do we say? Because you think, well, whatever I say next to this person could either have no impact at all, or could massively help, yeah, or massively damage. Yeah. Like when you realise that you could fundamentally damage your relationship with somebody who has a huge amount of influence yeah. it's terrifying isn't it and you literally got the booth working just as he arrived didn't yeah you? and fortunately he was hammered <laughs> so by the time he didn't really care like he was he was very grateful and he was quite drunk uh, because it was a work function and uh, they were all having fun but um but he was so humble like yeah. when we ever met these people they've always been very humble and very kind and yeah. generous with their time yeah they? absolutely well it, it's, it's funny that you say about um the humbleness actually because that, that brings me back to Sarah that um I'd always kind of vaguely known her story but I've never seen an interview with her I've never read anything about her other than that I knew she started Spanx and she started... so explain for some for like people like there's a lot of people that won't know what Spanx is yeah, right well, yeah, us guys will be like Spanx it sounds it sounds a little bit I and summers <laughs> So. No, it's, it's, I don't know why it's called that actually she doesn't uh, she doesn't touch on that in the interview but it's um it's a, a an underwear brand essentially um but it's it was designed um to make women look slimmer um so right. when you've got like a tight dress on or something like that right. it it holds all the all your bits in place so that you're looking like a, a, a nice silhouette as well right. kind of lumps and bumps in the wrong places okay so um but this is where the kind of execution comes from is that when, um, so she, so she starts. She had five grand in savings. And, How long ago is this? Uh, twenty years now, I think. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, two thousand. Yeah, it is oh, twenty it is. years. Okay. Uh, yeah, two thousand that she started, but she was a um, fax machine door to door salesman. She wow. did that for seven years. Wow. Um and uh, and and she, um, she she, first 
kind of used Spanx, as it were, or created Spanx. Is she, sorry to interrupt, is she English or American? She's American. Right, okay. Um, and she was going to a party or, or going somewhere, and she literally just cut the legs out of her tights. Right. So that she still had the top kind of portion of her tights to hold her tummy in. Right. Um, and she, she just cut the legs out, and that kind of kept everything together. Right. And then she, th- and so she thought, oh, I've got something here, and created something from it. Right. But my point is, she's told that story several times over the years and and women have come up to her all around the world and gone I used to do that all the time and, yeah. and I never so I thought of Spanx really and or I thought yeah. of that and she's got hundreds of thousands of women that had always that did the same as her yeah so it wasn't like it was this wonderfully unique oh I've invented something but it was the execution yeah and um, and the reason kind of behind that is because um she I mean she she delves into how it, from the age of 16 she she was working on religiously on like self-help stuff she right. this because she was a door-to-door salesman she was in a car all the time and she yeah. would just listen to self-help stuff wayne uh wayne dyer and and tony robbins and right. uh, dwyer dwyer or dyer dyer i don't know who you're talking about oh, okay. who's <laughs> wayne, wayne dyer wayne yeah. dyer i don't know i've not heard of that Have you not? He's no a very very big self-help okay person. tony robbins like we, we've both consumed yeah. a lot of his content yeah so. and, and zig ziglar and all of these kind of people yeah. that she she would listen to on tapes and then cds and then uh, like as the technology yeah. kind of developed and um which is one of the interesting things when she's being interviewed by tony because she's like i've had you in my ears and in my head yeah, for decades yeah. well, um, and tony <laughs> robbins is um like one of those things is the reason why you hear a lot of people who have w- made a success of their lives reference people like tony robbins mm-hmm. tony robbins and people like that if if that self-help if you kind of if you're listening to this or watching this and you're and you've always previously thought about self-help as for other people, because it's, it's, it's a bit cliched mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, one of the things that a lot of people, the reason why a lot of people do it is you self-sabotage a lot. And there's, and there's a lot of messages that you have grown up with or, or that you don't even realise you've been conditioned to that are, are what they call limiting beliefs, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So... Um, and sales highlights that. If you're thrown into a sales role or... If you uh, and of course a big function of business is sales, mm-hmm. then um, it's important to identify when you're standing in your own way. So well, that's why people like Tony Robbins are so important. Well, it's it's um, not um, a coincidence, I don't think, that people like Tony Robbins and Sarah Blakely uh, did door to door sales because mm. it's like unbelievable life training for people to have that way because you, you need the self belief to keep knocking yeah. on those doors. It's like probably one of the toughest jobs in the world. Yeah, constant rejection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and because um, he, as I say, he did that as well. But um, yeah, it is Dyer for now. I've just remembered it. I was thinking, Wayne Dyer. Yeah, I was thinking okay. Dyer because we have a friend called Richard Yeah, because Richard Dyer. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's Dyer. Uh, he was like Tony Robbins' forerunner. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, okay. very much so. Um, but um, where was I going with this? So, uh, yes, yeah, so, so Sarah Blakely created these... these um, tights without tight without the bottoms right. as it were and um and i had this idea but it was two or three years before that she, that she'd kind of set an intention to herself she'd literally pulled over at the side of the road because she was done with her fax her selling job she was still doing it two or three years later but it was at this time she was like there's got to be something better than this yeah this isn't my life and she made a kind of intention to herself that she would find something that she would sell she knew she was good at sales right but she would find something of her own invention right that she wanted to sell so how old is she at this point she's like early 20s yeah okay yeah um because she became a billionaire when she was 41 (laughs) 
um, and she was the first female billionaire in the world um, at 41 years old. So, um, so yeah, this is that was probably I don't I'm guessing, but maybe 15, 16 years prior to that. So yeah, she would have been early to mid 20s. So anyway, she but the but the point with the execution where, where I'm going with this is so she had this idea and um, she managed to get manufacturers and I'll, I'll speed up all of that story. You you got to listen to if you can find anything on her, it's a fascinating story. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so she fast forward. She managed to get somebody to to, to make it and then obviously she had to sell it. So she just rang up department stores. Right. And she she rang up um this this one particular department store. Got the name of it now, but it's a, it's a big chain in, in America and it's a very kind of high end chain in America. Right. And um, she she just rang up the closest store to her, right? And the woman kind of like laughed at her and said, You need to ring head office and right. ring the, the there's buyers at head office in I think it was maybe Florida or somewhere like that. And so she did that, and um, she knew from her sales, never leave a message, right. So she rang like 15, 20 times a day for a week, right. uh, just at all random different times until yeah. this woman actually picked up the phone and Oof. she managed to speak to her. Right. Um, and she, so she spoke to this woman and she, she said, I just need 10 minutes of your time and I'm going to fly, Jancy. And the woman was like, if you're prepared to fly and see me, then I'll give you 10 minutes of my time. Right. So she did. And she, and she got in, in there and... Um, she could tell within the first few minutes that she was losing it. Again, right. from all her sales training, she she knows the kind of non-verbal signals of when she's losing someone. Right. So within five minutes, she was like, I'm losing this woman. And um, and so she, she just stopped her pitch that she kind of rehearsed and said, can you follow me to the bathroom? And the woman was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so she... So she takes See if that was a guy saying that to the yeah, woman exactly. in the sales thing would be dead. Right? <laughs> the police would have been called. Yeah. It would be no. So she got to follow <laughs> and and Sarah Blakely went into the, the toilets, put on the, the garment, came out and was like, Can you see how this is so much better, etc.? Right. And and um, and the woman got it straight away. Gotcha. So she said, I'll I'll try you in seven stores. Yeah. And and we'll see see how it goes. And so in those seven seven stores, you know, a lot of people would have gone, cool, I've made it. I'm in these seven huge stores. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. As I said, I wish I could remember the chain. I, it wasn't one. It's not I, a lot of people would have. A lot of people still do now. Exactly, right? They would have gone, right, exactly. okay, job done. Yeah, um, but she didn't. So she got, in all of those seven stores in the city, she got anyone that she knew to go and buy the product. So <laughs> right. she was buying her, and she paid them. So right. she was buying her own product. Right. So the, the sales, the buyer said, oh, Sarah, these are selling really well. I was like, yeah, I <laughs> She literally bought them all herself. Um, and then um, luck came in. Um, well, I say luck. She had sent um, a basket of Spanx to uh, opera. Oprah, sorry. Oprah. Oprah. I don't so know what I mean, wrong you're with... so posh. I don't know what's wrong with my speech today. Um, she sent it to the Oprah, Oprah Winfrey show. And... Yeah. Um, and uh, Oprah at the time, I don't know if she still does it, but she did. She did my favorite things, I think, on a Sunday or something like that. Right. And um, she managed to get featured on on this. Uh, so the Spanx were part of her. So that was a big wow. kind of like marketing boost. Well, that's huge because those like in, so obviously influencers now are more commonplace, right? Yeah. You hear about influencer marketing all the time, but it's just a. Uh, it's just another version of like those types. Well, this of is what's really right? interesting. You see, so, so there's two two more parts to this this part of the story. Was well, once she'd made that introduction and she told her story, and normally Oprah would just feature the the product. Yeah, yeah. But because she was interested in Sarah's story, she actually sent a film crew to um, Sarah to kind of 
find out a little bit more about the woman behind this. Right. Um, and Sarah at the time didn't have any staff, so she hired all her friends to <laughs> pretend to be staff to, to make her look a, a lot <laughs> kind of bigger than she was. Right. But, um, but yeah, she... Um, where was I going with that? So, oh, yeah, so for the... For the for the first 16 years of the business, right. bearing in mind it's only 20 uh, years now and it's something like a $400 million um, dollar turnover company, wow. um, she didn't do a, a penny of traditional advertising. Really? Yeah, it was all influencer style, which is obviously very popular now, but it, it wasn't then. No. It, it was all calling up radio shows and getting in press and yeah. all, all this kind of stuff. Um, but back to go back in time to, to Oprah, again, so many people would have been like, oh, made it now. Exactly. I'm on Oprah and, and just left it there. But again, she didn't. So yeah. um, this this department store chain that had um, tried it in the seven stores, then rolled it out to all the stores in America, however many that was. Um, and um, But they were kind of, you know, on the back corner, they're, they're tights essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're in with the underwear and the, and the hosiery or whatever. And in the um, kind of corner of the lingerie department within this massive, massive store. Um, so Sarah Blakely was like, well, that's not going to sell. No. And the people that are being paid like however many dollars an hour to just stand at the cash desk aren't going to sell my product. No. So she would go and do Spanx days at all of these stores across the whole of America. She would fly in and do these Spanx days. And she would stand there for like 10, 12 hours a day making sure that Spanx was selling. So she'd have a big pop-up stand. She'd get there first thing in the morning and she'd um, brief the sales team. But again, because she didn't just want these people in the laundry department, she would bribe the whole department store to come to her like sales meetings. So she'd do contests and giveaways and like cakes and stuff in the morning to get people well, to this meeting. Well, what's interesting about that is, is it's understanding that, she, like she seems to have understood that that her her cust her customer was the department stores, right? Mm. But the way to make that customer very happy was to help them sell her product, mm -hmm. right? It's like the more she could make the process of that department store make mm -hmm. uh, enable that department store to make money, the happier their her customer would be, and the more product yeah. it would buy, right? Well, so it, it wasn't just just a case of that. It was the way she describes it in the interview is that she had this opportunity. Um, like by by the grace of God or universal whatever you believe in, she she very much believes in manifesting and and the universe and stuff. And she she'd been given this opportunity, and by her you know by anything she was going to make that work. Yeah, she was not going to leave it to chance to anything. It, she was going to make it work. And one of the other things she used to do was get like a um, an envelope display thing. You know, like you you sit on your your desk that you put your, your post in or whatever, and she'd put that on every checkout and stick spanks in it. And this particular department store was very fussy about, you know, how it looked. That yeah, was, yeah. And people would go, oh, has this been approved? And she, oh, yes, yes, it's been approved. <laughs> well, that's the whole... Uh, we got told this by somebody else in business years ago, didn't we? And they, we were just, they were just like... When we were like, well, can we do this? Because you can get bogged down by uh, bureaucracy yeah. with authorities or departments. But the... Um, and one of our friends, who we've mentioned a couple of times, Siam Kid, always, always has said, well, if it doesn't kill you, if it doesn't put you in jail, if you're not yeah. breaking it, then all this kind of stuff, then just do it. And, yeah. and then someone else had said to us, um, oh, what was it? It was, uh, ask, uh, it's easier to... ask permission. Yeah, ask, it's, it's ask. easier to ask for uh, forgiveness. forgiveness than permission. permission. Well, it's exactly that, because 
by the every what she was saying was that everybody thought somebody else had approved that these <laughs> things could be there and by the time they realized that it wasn't approved yeah. and it kind of got all the way up to the ceo what this woman was doing yeah the sales were massive and he was like let her do whatever she wants to do yeah. like it's it's selling brilliantly yeah. and it's making us a fortune so well i think that's the other thing as well that uh, what that's a testament to and if you watch a lot of stories about um, how businesses start and how they become successful. Um, I mean, Christ, there's that picture of uh, Jeff Bezos sat at a desk at mm-hmm. home and he's got like this hand-drawn Amazon yeah. sign yeah. Uh, that he's written on paper above his desk and his wife's taken the, the photo of him. And um, it's easy to look at a company and see uh, when it's fully formed, like when it's when it's become this huge, great corporation and assume that well, that's how it started. That's mm-hmm. how it's become as big mm-hmm. as it is. And all of these, this infrastructure and, and management structure and all this kind of stuff is what delivers. Yeah. And, and you have to have that to have a business. Yeah. And that's not, that's in 99.9% of the time, everything is stacked together with sticky back yeah. plastic tape, yeah, right? Absolutely. And it's, it's just, you are constantly innovating and constantly trying to figure out well how does this work or how does that work and well, she, you shouldn't she, be embarrassed by that well no well, she, she was saying that um, the biggest gift is not knowing how to do something yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah. you will do it a new way you will innovate yeah. you will do it your way and um, that that first phone call that she made to a local store and then got um, and then got told to ring the buyer um, she would have other um, salesmen or, or uh, products say to her how did you get into that department store <laughs> And she's like, well, I just called them. And then she, the way she tells the story is that they, they just stare at her in silence <laughs> because she's like, what do you mean you just called them? Apparently there's trade shows and there's this way that you go to the trade show for six or seven years and eventually this department store oh, comes geez. up to you. And she's like, I didn't even know there was trade shows. I just did what I did. You yeah, know? Yeah. And she, but she's saying that's such a gift because yeah. you, you, don't, you shouldn't look for the right way to do something. Just do things your way. Well, also, I think there's a fear, right? There's a... Like, we have it when we talk to our franchisees in Smiley Booth, when they're... Um, when we talk to them about building relationships with maybe particular venues mm. or event planners and all this kind of stuff. And there's this kind of fear of rejection, but also yeah. fear of, like, how we had with Theopophetus, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, my God, not only are they going to... Am I going to be rejected, but I'm going to be scolded and I'm going to be, like... My reputation's going to be in tatters if I try and do it this way. Yeah. And nine times out of ten, or probably 99 times out of 100, it's like the other person's not going to be badly received. The worst they can turn around and say, look, now I'm too busy for this. Yeah. And email me or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And we're kind of seeing that with Say It business yeah. at the moment, aren't we? We're one of the aspects of the Say It service that we're, because there's a lot of people suffering with loneliness at the moment especially if they're residents in care homes or the families can't connect with those people there's it's it's a horror there's horrible stories coming out Mm. because of that so what one of the ways that we want to use the say service is to help those communities Mm. so part of my job at the moment is knocking on the doors of care homes the fax machine salesman, yeah yeah Yeah, and I'm, i'm picking up the phone to care homes going and to care associations and saying look you need to say it. It yeah. connects these families and these residents. But it's intimidating, well, right? Well, that's what a lot of people say about sales, that if you, know, if you truly believe in what you are doing is bettering the lives of the person that you're trying to sell it to, you know, if, yeah. you, if, if, if your conscience is clear, you're not trying to sell snake oil, yeah. um, then it's, it, you're, you know, 
it's your duty to be selling that. It's not not that you're trying to get something out of someone. It's your duty to be sharing this product or this service with people. But I just want to go back to what you said a a couple of minutes ago because you said the word embarrassment. And that's interesting in her story as well because she said that fear of failure and fear of sales and, as you say, the intimidating, like not wanting to pick up the phone um, and all, all of these fears. She said if you really examine what that is... It's a fear of embarrassment. Yeah. You don't want to be embarrassed. You don't want to be humiliated. And just yeah. like you said, what we were with Theo and the booth broke just as he was going yeah. towards it. We didn't want to be humiliated. Yeah. Um, and so she deliberately, even now, and if you think anyone's made it, she's made it. You know, yeah, if anyone yeah. could sit there and go, I've done it, I can sit back now, you'd think it would be her. Yeah, someone who's a billionaire. Exactly, the first female billionaire. But she, even now, she still works on herself and trains herself and she deliberately embarrasses herself so that she takes that fear away. And Tony Robbins was like, well, well, what do you do? How do you do that? And she goes, I'll just randomly start singing in a lift, <laughs> in an elevator, and, okay. and, and things like that. And she, she would deliberately embarrass herself because, herself because then it doesn't have any power over her. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought, I, I'm not sure I, I can, I'm going to be doing something like that. But it, it was fascinating how even someone of her level of success still pushes herself. Well, that's... Every successful person we've heard about, we've studied, or we've met have this, you get this sense from them when you either watch their stuff or you listen to them or whatever, that they're on a journey, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, it's, they're, at no point do they act in a way that is like kind of, they're fully formed. Mm-hmm. They know how the land lies and this is it, yeah. right? And the people that we have met who I would say we've had the most challenging relationships with, right, where we haven't connected with them or or, um, or they've just, they've done things that made us step back and go, made us scratch our heads and go, I don't, underst- I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. They've generally been people who act in a way that they that, that they've believe they're fully formed. They yeah. already know the, la- the yeah, land. No, and, yeah, know yeah. it all, right? Yeah. And they're... And you can't tell them no. anything. You can't, you can't teach them anything. No. And there's no, there's no self-reflection. No. And we've met a few, and I'm sure everybody has met people like that who are just, there's no, the concept of personal growth and development mm. and um, not understanding something. It's just, it's almost an insult to support well, that. That's right? a fear in itself though. They're, mas- yeah. they're masking a lot of the time an insecurity. They don't yeah. want to, um, they think by showing that they don't know, that's some kind of weakness. And, yeah, then, and then that's some kind of embarrassment. So it's like a power play yeah. almost. It's like if I if I in some way say say I don't know, then you, you, you have power, you I'm giving up something yeah, to do yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah right. exactly. But yeah, so it, it, coming back to the, the kind of execution, like just showing up and and really kind of capitalising on, on opportunities um, I, I saw a post on, on Instagram this morning and I can't remember the exact percentages but it said something along the lines of 80% of people will start and something like uh, 16, no, 18%, the other next 18% might give it a go for a few months, right. only 2% will really stick it out and yeah, keep going. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought that was really interesting coupled with, with listening to that interview because um, it, it's so important. I mean, one of the other things that she used to do when when she did these spank stays, as she called them, yeah, um, was she would fly in and you know, and as I say, she would spend all day on her feet and in like high heels because she had to look the part and everything because these were like swanky department stores, 
Um, but because she'd flown in, she it was expensive for her because right. this was obviously at the start of her business. And um, so she would give it everything she'd got. And she'd often fly like some kind of complicated route because to make it cheaper. Yeah. Um, so once she flew into San Diego, I think it was, and then she was flying out of San Francisco. So she stopped in, in 21 days. Right. So she stopped at every single store along the way. She did 21 days back to back, 10 hours on her feet. Um, before she flew back so she, she stopped at all of these stores and this was before you know like google maps or anything yeah, like that she's yeah, there yeah. with a map in the car and, yeah, trying to, yeah. and all, all of this kind of stuff and she said that um when she got on the plane to fly out the guy next to her kind of turned around and said hi how are you she just burst into tears <laughs> she's like i'm a bit tired <laughs> yeah well we've been now on a very small scale do you remember yeah. when we did the um that reminded me of when we did the music cases do you remember that? That was so. We had this idea of um, so Kate, as we talked about yesterday, uh, was a musician. No, I think it was one of the previous ones. Oh, okay. Yeah. But so you you can play saxophone, flute, clarinet, and piano. Yeah, right. I taught them. Yeah, and you yeah. tour and you've played in bands and mm. orchestras and all yeah. this kind of stuff, right? So I think I mean it's a long time ago now, but it was in the early days of us. Um, might be in the early days of us being married or better. It was, yeah. yeah. And we had this brainwave that we could use these, we could transform these instrument cases into something way better for well, yeah, kids, it, right? Well, yeah, it was always a bit of a, you know, it, it, it's like the American bank, American Pie film, you know. That American time, Pie film? Yeah, which is like that one time at Bank. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, okay. Bank I didn't know where you were going with that. Yeah, right? it, yeah. it was considered, you know, playing yeah. music was considered, you know, kind of geeky, kind of um, a bit sad or whatever. But, well, the cases look like briefcases, don't they? But that's don't the thing, it? apart part of that is because you're carrying this hoofing great black box a lot of the time no matter what your instrument whether it's a trumpet or a saxophone or a violin they all look like pretty unattractive great big black ugly cases yeah so we were we thought if we could make those look a lot cooler it, yeah. it would be a really cool thing to be able to do that really. would serve yeah your yeah. your the kids that you teach the, the other people musicians you know yeah. they'd love it Every, right? yeah everyone would really enjoy having something like proud to be carrying yeah. rather than these but and this is before Google Ads was really a thing. Yeah. Facebook. I well, don't. I didn't. Did Facebook really? Facebook kind of existed, Facebook but it was, was just, very new. Facebook was just starting. So advertising um, on Facebook. And Facebook hadn't monetized itself, so that wasn't really something that anybody well, it, was really talking it, about. It wasn't. It wasn't. So Facebook hadn't. But it's interesting you say that because I am um, listening to the Russell Brunson book that I had been last week. Right. Um. A lot of these marketing techniques were there then. Oh, right, okay. But but very new. It was right. only the very kind of forerunners that mm-hmm. were into them. But it's interesting because you and I had no idea no. of this world. No, no idea because we weren't marketers. We were just employed. We'd never done anything like it. Well, and also the um, the people that we were trying to reach yeah. weren't necessarily oh, susceptible anyway. to that no, stuff. No, yeah, so true. they weren't accessible yeah. to that. Yeah. So the, the reason why I raise it is because we... <laughs> We we have a way of committing when we when we've decided right we're going to do something like that mantra of just get it done yeah. and um, execution is something we've always believed in right yeah. so we were just so we were like right okay we need to get some cases in we we found a manufacturer and we got the we, we sorted out the designs and um, over a period of weeks we managed to get some money together. And the most amount of money we'd ever put together yeah. for anything, um, and um, and we bought we bought these cases, and they were shipped in, 
and we, we container, all, right? Oh, the container on the back of a lorry, right? So we were, so we had, we were entirely unprepared for what that looked like. So we we'd arranged for a place to um, to store them, and we were. I always remember we were standing outside the like the warehousing bit, and we were thinking this is all feels a bit like kind of overkill, but hey ho, they will arrive in a minute. And then this enormous truck arrived with a big milk container, like proper shipping container yeah. on the back, yeah. wasn't it? And it had 400 of these instrument cases in the back. And it that was like, oh, what have we done, wasn't it? And it took us ages to unload all of these. And we filled up Yeah, we did. Yeah, but then do, do you remember that we gave up that storage not long after because we'd had some kind of falling out with the, the landlord of that storage. Oh, he wanted to do something else with the space, he, he I think. He changed it, yeah. didn't he? So, yeah. so we literally ferried these cases in the car. like three or four at a time in the car to my parents' greenhouse, yeah. which is where they lived for the next however long. Yeah, so yeah, yeah they were literally in your parents' yeah. greenhouse. And... Um, so what Kate would have to do is, um, the reason why I bring this up is because that idea of going around stores, Kate would literally load up the car with cases and drive and drive around to every music shop that you could find. I had and a you, van. I don't know why I had it. Did I hire? I hired. I hired a van. Yeah, I'd hire yeah. a van, yeah. And you'd literally just, you, you had, and it was a, the days of, right, you get your map out yeah. and you found the website online and you print off the details yeah. of the of the shop and yeah. the address and you used to say right okay um i'm gonna drive and how far did you drive you drove like pretty much yeah well, across most, the whole of england most, didn't you? yeah i don't i don't think i ever really did the far north but mm. i up I, to birmingham yeah. and across from there yeah, i, I mean, think i went a bit further than that but yeah i didn't i didn't go up like yorkshire way but, uh, yeah. but literally knocking on the door of music shops and going yeah. right i had this music case and there and the problem <laughs> problem was they were all treating you the same way. There were always guys that were in their like 50s, 60s or 70s that owned these music shops that they'd had for decades. Yeah. They were all very cynical and well, kind of scowling. They were failed musicians. Yeah, so That's right? why they ended up with a shop. A little bit bitter <laughs> yes. because no one was buying stuff in their <laughs> yeah. shop. And then there's this girl in her 20s turning up with a <laughs> instrument case going, would you... And a lot of them just were like, yeah, do you know what? Just um, we'll stick it in the... Um, stick it in the window or stick it over there, yeah. leave it with me, and if I sell them, then I'll buy some more off you. Yeah, yeah. And it was hard, oh, wasn't God, it? it was really hard. Yeah. It was really, really hard. And, and I'm not, of the two of us, my God, nowadays we know that that should have been you and not me because I'm not yeah. the salesman of the two of us at all. Well, we naturally thought you, it was more appropriate for you to do it because of your music, Obviously, musical yeah. background. Well, I think but... you, were, you were working at the time anyway. Yeah, You, yeah. you had a a day job I, did, I didn't at the time because I was teaching yeah but... <laughs> that was crazy yeah so we definitely know that feeling and um, I mean had that gone the other way and we'd know more we'd, we'd had a, more of an opportunity or, or luck had turned the right way yeah. that would have been a real well, we, success we did we sold we, I mean we, we didn't know anything about marketing especially online marketing <laughs> I mean obviously that's how we would have done it now but, but even then <laughs> That would be my tea. Um, even then, we sold more ourselves, like on eBay and stuff like that, exactly. than we ever sold directly the, to like, shops. Yeah, through the and, shops and yeah. stuff. And that was, and that, I mean, that was definitely a business failure because I think we literally, literally took us. Do we still have cases today? I think we might have a few <laughs> cases somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, like in our garage somewhere or something, but um, yeah. But even now, because they, they, my, my. Um, uh, maiden name is Gur, G-U-R-R. -R. 
So they were called G R R R Grr. Yeah, Grr cases, and they had, and you would open them, and and they'd have like a zebra print or a leopard print inside. It sounds or a tiger print or or some kind of animal. That that was their kind of trademark. And they'd have a funky design on the outside. Well, yeah, but it wasn't like as wild as the inside. It didn't end up willing. But the whole idea was that when people turned up, yeah, they'd open it, and people like. Wow, yeah, what's yeah, that exactly. all about? And it worked, right? But, but we even had what, key rings. Well, that's made. what I was about to say. Even now, people still refer to girl cases. We, we occasionally would randomly find like a forum, wouldn't we? Yeah. Where someone was going, Did anyone, has anyone ever seen those girl cases? I really wanted to get one. My yeah. friend had one and I've never been able to find them. And it's yeah. like, yeah, because we are hiding because we don't want to They probably were thousands now. Yeah. Like, like they're like they're collectors. <laughs> yeah, it's like, do you remember that manufacturer who did girl cases? <laughs> well, we, in fairness, we would have kept going and giving it more of a go but we went to a trade show didn't we in germany and oh, the, the yeah. supplier like had upped the prices significantly and it wasn't we could well do we it we were i mean we were very naive yeah. like really naive and we and we we thought everybody that was being kind to us had our best like had the best intentions for us yeah. and in a lot of cases that was the case but um we had this it was a this again goes back to what we were saying at the, at the uh, earlier on on this on this episode, where we were talking about how business owners, uh, a lot of business owners, are just very humble and they want to help and they want to share their experiences. And we went to the Frankfurt trade show um, uh, to meet our suppliers, and it, I mean it's like the biggest trade show in the world, and. Yeah. Um, so we went there to meet our suppliers, and our suppliers were Chinese, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, no, Taiwanese. Taiwanese, mm-hmm. and um, so and they had stands there and everything else. So we we'd gone there to meet there, but you had struck up a relationship with uh, a guy that had been in the kind of music retail industry for mm-hmm. decades, mm-hmm. and we'd had a few conversations with him. Um, really nice guy, and then uh, and he happened to be at the show because mm-hmm. it's obviously the place to be. And he was like, "Let's meet for a coffee." Well, yeah. So, so we met up with him, and he so he and he he said we saw him in the morning, and he was talking about the show and giving us loads of advice about this, that, and the other. And he said, "By the way, when you see those your suppliers later on today, um, he said there's a couple of tactics that they'll use on you. He said just be really careful that you don't sign anything or do anything because I'm like, well, what's that then? And they said, well, the guy who's the boss won't talk to you, and he'll and he'll." he'll be saying that they'll say that he doesn't speak any English and and, and that they will have to translate uh, and he said and you'll probably have two or three people that you'll be communicating with there'll be about three or four or five of them whatever but he will sit quietly in the background but he will know exactly what you're saying he'll speak fluent English yeah. and he said and what they'll do is they'll switch prices on you yeah. he said so just be careful don't cite, don't agree to anything anything else and sure enough, exactly a couple, happened, yeah. oh, we were sat there and yeah. he refused to talk to us because yeah. they were like, he speaks no English, nothing <laughs> at all. And they raised the prizes by about 50%. Yeah. Like there. And they were like, yeah. Uh, and they just, and we had commit, we were building commitments yeah, with yeah. Um, sales uh, to sell the units. Mm-hmm. And, and they were really pushing us to sign a deal. And he refused to talk to us. That was the best advice we ever got yeah, yeah, on yeah. that show, wasn't it? But one of, one of the, coming back to to Sarah actually is um, something that I think would have helped us at the time is, is she says um, start small, mm. um, think big, mm. and then scale quickly. And I think too many times, and it's very tempting with products, and and you're kind of pushed into it a little bit. This is what we were talking about yesterday with minimum order quantities. Yeah. 
um, is that you you tr- you start too big and yeah. and you kind of um, hamstring yourself. Yeah. And I think that's what we did with that because we were committed with these four hundred that we bought in. Yeah. Had we bought maybe just a few samples in, and I'd gone yeah. around the shops with the samples, yeah. we would have been in a better position to then get get more in there. Well, you're in such a strong position to negotiate, yeah. right? Because it's way better to be turning around to somebody and them saying, right, okay, well, can I have 10 now? And you go, I'm really sorry. Yeah. I'm glad you like it. But we've got a lot of demand on at the moment. Yeah. And um, But I'll put some orders so you get them in X number of weeks' yeah, time. Yeah. Then, okay, yeah, can I have 10 now? And can I have a deal? Yeah. And you're like, oh, Jesus, well, what would you do for 20? Yeah. You know, yeah. or can I get persuade you to do 30? It's like... You're on the back foot. Well, it's about building something that people love of that one thing. And um, Sarah calls them hero products. Right. And, and really kind of you're the, you're the best at, whether it's a product or service, that's, that's your one thing. And, and we did that in Smiley Booth. Like yeah. um, when we started Smiley Booth, because it was in the recession, we went down the wedding route. Whereas yeah. lots of our competitors, as they entered the market, went the corporate route. Yeah. And um, that worked for us because even in a recession, weddings will still take place. People still want to get married. They might cut a few corners or they'll get married on a weekday instead of yeah. the weekend, but they'll still get married. Well, we obsessed about what did that person want? Yeah. If it was if it was our wedding, what kind of experience yeah. would we like? I mean, the guest book idea hadn't really come out then. We, there was no... The, the idea of the photos being placed in the guest book for the bride and groom to have that for decades after, that wasn't really around. And then you were like... Well, I'd want that. Yeah. I'd want that. I'd want a... And so you introduced that into well, Smiley Booth, and now we, it's synonymous yeah, with Photo exactly. Booth Hire, right? I think we really excelled at wedding, particularly wedding Photo Booth Hire. And, yeah. and also because of my background, because I'd been in weddings a lot through music and yeah. through my, my previous job before we went full-time at Smiley Booth as a wedding coordinator. So yeah. I, you know, I, I knew that world. So I, I think really kind of um, playing to your strengths and, um, and, and I think... People are afraid to start small. They'll, yeah. you know, they'll have an idea for, and they'll go get premises, and they'll get this sparkly shop front and, yeah. and everything, and everything looks right. But you've got to start a lot smaller than that. Well, you said yesterday about um, ego, ego yeah. and keeping, like, keeping the business as lean as possible, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Because you want you, it's like we all that's that feeds into self sabotage, yeah. right? In terms of. We really want to demonstrate to maybe our wife or husband or our fathers or mothers or to our friends or whatever the 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 idea that they were kind of scratching their head going Are you sure like this yeah. I don't I think this is a stupid idea yeah, you want to yeah. kind of prove them wrong yeah, yeah. and one of the ways of proving them wrong is to get to suddenly be seen driving around with your van or in a nice new van with it all completely yeah. branded and all this kind of stuff just to just to give them a kind of what for well, it, it is. I think it's beyond just your family and friends as well. It is an, an ego thing, although I think this is reducing now, again, because of not just the way the internet's gone, but because of 2020 and stuff. But people would often say to us with um, franchise interviews, wouldn't, like, yeah. not interviews, sorry, somebody that was interested in a franchise, they'd yeah, often we were, say, yeah. can I come and see you at your office? And we're like, we don't have an office. Yeah, not anymore, yeah. No, and, and, you know, for the last three, four years, we haven't had an office. Yeah. And it's like, well, we didn't need one. Yeah, it's a vanity exactly. statement. Yeah, it's There's not needed. Absolutely no need for us to have an office. No. Well, we... And that's the other thing about... Um, I'll just touch on this now, but it's slightly separate, but I think it's an important point to remember um, just because I was having the conversation yesterday. So we had... Um, the, in 2020, this is a strange time of year, a strange time to be alive because 
um, because of lots of reasons, but predominantly because of the response to COVID. And um, as such, the events industries, as I've said on other episodes, it's on pause right now. But we've got a lot, there's a lot of people out there reviewing their lives, right? They're looking at life going, well, okay, well, do I need to, I've been in this job that sucks for the last however many decades or whatever it is or however many years. And maybe this is a good chance for me to review where I'm going in life. Or there's other people that have been made redundant, they've been handed a check and they're like, well, I need to do something with this. This money is not going to last me for the next three years or two years or even one. So I need to either invest it in something or I need to build a business with something or whatever it is. So we found personally that we've had franchisee, franchise inquiries coming out of the blue yeah. over, over the last few months without doing anything. We're not marketing the franchise at the moment or anything like that, primarily because we, we want franchisees to come in and hit the ground running. Yeah. Yeah, I was having this conversation with a potential franchise candidate yesterday who rang me out of the blue yesterday. We were just talking about the merits of doing business at this time and everything else. And whatever your whatever's true, like with, with the Spanx lady and for us and all this kind of stuff, you have to have the person who's interested in doing business with you, their best interests at heart mm-hmm. all the time. Even that, if, even if that means that you lose a sale mm-hmm. or you lose the cash. And that was our philosophy with the music cases. If mm-hmm. the guy didn't want to buy the music cases because he couldn't sell them and everything else, we were quite happy to walk away and go, yeah. done deal. Selling those cases to them, like that wasn't the result. The no. result was it had to benefit us and benefit them. Yeah. And it's the same with the Smiley Booth, photo booth hires for weddings or for corporate events. It's like, well, hire us because we add value to your event. Like yeah. your event is all the better for having a Smiley Booth as part of that event. Yeah. The Say It service, the same again. Yeah, it's yeah, like, absolutely. It's, um, if there's any indication that we're not adding value, but we could make a sale. It's like, we don't do the deal. No. And so the conversation that I had with the, the lady yesterday about, she was very keen to get on to, to get involved with Smiley Booth and become a franchisee, which is wonderful. It's always great to get that positive feedback. But on the other side of it, I was, very, I was saying to her, look, hold up a second. Yeah. The events industry has paused. So yeah. we're really excited about the future, but when you're talking to us or any person in the events industry right now because and you want to spend your money, yeah. it's easy for that money to burn a hole in your pocket. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there in desperate situations that just want to take your cash irrespective of what yeah. the result is. So, yeah, definitely sell. Definitely kind of make those connections and implement, but do it with integrity yeah. and honesty Don't and adding value, not as in, oh, wow, I've made a sale and it doesn't matter what they do. But I think it, that really know? helps with the, with the self-belief. Part. Yeah. I mean, I, I, as I said, I'm not, I'm not a strong salesperson anyway. I don't, I don't, I've always found that quite hard to do just from my own, because I, I don't have a huge amount of um, confidence in that area. Right. But when I do really believe in something, yeah. it's easy because yeah. it's, it becomes a no brainer. It's like, well, yeah. why wouldn't you want this? Yeah. Yeah. You Your know, life will be better exactly, for it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and going back to Sarah, that's what she truly believes with all her products. Yeah. Um, that they improve women's lives. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's the, the most important thing. So, um, I mean, we'll, we'll be, we, the lots of, lots of these podcasts will be about mindset stuff, but today we, it, it was more about, how you execute doesn't have to be the right way or the no. traditional way at yeah. all, but but it, it really needs to be um, kind of thought through, not attached to your ego, and just go for it. Yeah, and take action. That, it's like, yeah, just I mean. do it. Like, step up every day and just 
They, I, I had a friend of mine reach out yesterday and they were quizzing me about bits and pieces about business generally. And, um, and they asked about the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the point of doing a podcast? And, and I said, well, I can't. I said, I've got ideas as to what the point is. I think we're creating value. Yeah. Um, it, helps, it helps raise the profile of the people we do business with as well as our own businesses yeah. down the road. But it also means that we can give something back. And, yeah. and, uh, but I said, I can't tell you what, whether this vision I have or, the, or we have mm-hmm. for the podcast is, is actually going to create a result. But I'm not doing it off the back of I, the result today. Yeah. And his response was, well, I'd need to know the numbers. I'd want to know that before, because it's a lot of time, and I'd want to know that we, I'm getting this. And I was like, well, we're different. Yeah. Like, I'll tell you what the result is on day 365. Yeah. I said, but, but for the meantime, enjoying... we'll show up every yeah. day. Well, it's about enjoying the journey, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, Tony, Tony Robbins, when he's interviewing Sarah, refers to, because largely because of the tech industry you know you constantly hear these oh they made however many million in two years and however many million billion in three or four years and you you hear these kind of overnight success stories which a lot of the time they're not people have been working away for like 20 25 years behind the scenes um but even if they are the world has kind of been led to believe there's all these quick wins out there yeah and that the end point is the only point at which you can be happy and and say that you've done it and it be worthwhile but everything along the way is is about enjoying that journey and and learning and discovering and meeting people like like we said at the beginning with Andre and and just it's to me it's a fascinating journey and and I've certainly tried to take the pressure off myself because I was always very I've got a result, big, result result yeah well I've got a big birthday coming up in the next few months and and I've always had this kind of by that age I wanted to have done x y and z and well you've kind of listening to her 41 being a billionaire yeah that kind doesn't of... help does it <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah it's but it, it doesn't need to be that because your journey is your journey and it's it's you're you're only in competition with yourself you're not well and it's the journey right yeah. so the it make the journey fun and enjoy it. It's like, I can honestly say, I mean, I know we're only on episode 13, but I love doing these podcasts yeah. now. I really enjoy it. Like you, you came down this morning and you were like, so I was listening to this and I was like, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> yeah. don't talk to me. Tell me about it on the podcast. Well, I said to you yesterday, I said, it's like a little date that we have every it day. It is. <laughs> like, sit to... down because this is what we do every day yeah. anyway, right? Yeah. And it, the fact that we can share some of this and and record it so that you and I can reflect back yeah. on. Do you remember those days in twenty twenty when we was just starting on this and doing that? So um, you have to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy doing, don't get me wrong. There's going to be times when things are difficult and things are painful. Well, that's but, why you have to enjoy it because otherwise yeah. you give up. Yeah, you would. Yeah, yeah. You, and we you we need gen- to get, gotta get through the tough times. Yeah, we genuinely love doing the podcast. This yeah. isn't. Like, I think also what helps is this is us, yeah. right? This isn't like a, um, like you see so many podcasts where they're like, make it really wow and it has to be brightly coloured and everyone has to be really made up and you have to have this set and it all has to have this really big flash equipment and, and all this kind of stuff. And we were just like, yeah, that's never going to happen no. for me and you. I mean, it, it might one day if I can't see it being us, but... Um, the fact that we can sit down in our living room and have these conversations is what's going to keep us sticking to it every yeah. day. And um, but it's the same with Smiley Booth, and like we're genuinely passionate about 
what that business brings to people's lives yeah. and events and say it what that brings like the we had an amazing experience with say a few days ago where um we helped um a mum organize for her daughter who's how old's her daughter in her early 20s in her early 20s she might be 21. 20 okay 21 who has what condition at the leukemia. moment leukemia right and so she's in complete isolation and um it's like it's a it's an awful story. I mean, a horror, dreadful for the parent, dreadful for everybody involved. But she's so upbeat. She's yeah. such an inspiring character. This her daughter, and um, but she's in complete isolation, and the loneliness is a massive problem now yeah. because of twenty twenty anyway. So we re- reached out to the mother and said, look, well, why don't you use say it to bring family and friends together yeah. and deliver this say it gift to her? Yeah. And the feedback we got was. Yeah. Amazing, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And we love that, don't yeah. we? That's what you have to love what you're doing. Yeah, you have absolutely. To, it's really important. Yeah, it has to. We've talked about it on previous podcasts that you don't need this big why. No. But you do need a why. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't need to be this big, you know, philanthropic. I never know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or like. Huge... How can you say that so well, but <laughs> having to? Yeah, yeah. An opera. Yeah, <laughs> opera. Yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the posh English way of saying opera. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, but you you don't need these big overarching whys, but you do need something that connects to to your kind of soul and and just just why you want to want yeah. to do something because that's what's going to get you up every day and that's what's going to get you through the like Sarah went through twenty one days on her feet all day because yeah. she was passionate about it and she yeah. believed in it. Yeah, agreed. So it's it's yeah, but how execution execution is is everything. Um, how how you execute. You know, get the advice you need, show up every day, and yeah. don't be afraid to do things your way. There that you sounds go. like a good jumping off point for the podcast. <laughs> so, episode 13. Done. Have a good day all. Bye.